It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton along with my partner, John Riley, from our San Diego studios. We welcome you to our weekly podcast. As we kick things off, John, the Christmas tree in the background, we got all these topics on the table, gift wrap to talk about. What an amazing array of things that we're going to open up to discuss. But before we do, let's invite everybody who has joined us on the live stream Tell them about the Fans Forum and tell them about how they can subscribe to get access to our podcast each Thursday and then what we put on the podcast on the YouTube channel each each day of the week. All right, Lee. So uh, Fans Forum is your chance to get involved. If you're watching the live stream on YouTube or on Facebook, you got a hot take, a question for Hacksaw, just type it in in Facebook or YouTube. We'll see it here on our screen. We'll get you involved in the Fans Forum segment that'll be at the conclusion of Hacksaw's Headlines. You can subscribe to Lee Hacksaw Hamilton's YouTube channel. Uh, click on the subscribe button and click on that bell. You'll get the updates for not only the live streams, but also the little four and five minute segments that we produce and, and kind of share throughout the week. And then be sure to also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and uh, follow Lee on, at uh, Twitter at, at Hacksaw1090. That's the handle, right? And our website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com, which I write on every day of the week. It's fresh every day. Go check the website daily. John, first present, baseball free agency. Holy cow. So we've come through the winter baseball meetings. It opened a week ago Monday here in San Diego. And we waited and we waited for the free agents to sign. And then the floodgates opened when Aaron Judge was the first one in. Do you know there have been 59 veteran free agents that have signed in about a 10-day span for a combined, get this, Baseball has spent $3.2 billion already on the 59 free agents that have signed. That, of course, started with Aaron Judge and then the shortstops, etc. Think about this. The top nine free agents who signed during the winter baseball meetings and right after, a combined total of $2.3 billion in contracts for the nine marquee names at the top of the board. That staggering amount of money, and these are eight-year contracts to 13-year contracts. Your reaction? I mean, it's unbelievable. The amount of money in this sport is just booming. You look at what these guys are getting, what the owners are getting at the the, uh, turnstile in the merchandise store, but the, the... the contracts with these, uh, you know, television rights. I mean, it's just loaded with cash. So on one hand, we're kind of blown away by the numbers, but on the other hand, you're thinking, well, these athletes are maybe getting their fair share of what they really deserve. And we're waiting for trades. We've only seen two significant trades so far. The first one was the Colton Wong trade uh, from Milwaukee to St. Louis. The second trade was a blockbuster trade of prospects. And it was the Oakland A's continuing their fire sale when they traded Sean Murphy to the Atlanta Braves as part of a three-team deal with Milwaukee. So the Braves wound up with a really, really good catcher. The A's wound up with prospects. Milwaukee got a couple of good players out of the transaction. Everybody in baseball that I, I never work with is of the opinion there's still more transactions, more trades coming. All right, let's look at who's on the board right now. Who's available 
as the spending spree has continued. Now, in terms of of everyday players, there's really only one established star, and that's the last shortstop on the board in Dansby Swanson from Atlanta. The Cubs are back in on him. The Dodgers still need a shortstop. They have talked to Swanson's people within the last couple of days. Interesting to see where he winds up. I still think Atlanta's there. Atlanta has only made one offer, and they've not moved off the spot. When you look at the wild amounts of money that Trey Turner and Correa got, interesting to see where Swanson goes to. Carlos Rodon, uh, former number one draft pick, White Sox, arm injuries, resuscitated his career, was a pretty good pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. Out of nowhere, though, his price has gone to the roof. John, he's asking for a seven-year contract. I don't know who's giving pitchers seven-year contracts, (laughs) especially guys Mm -hmm. who've had a history of injuries. So Rodon is still out there. We keep hearing the Yankees. I was told St. Louis today pulled out. They're not going seven years on any contract for a pitcher. Nathan Eovaldi, Red Sox. The Padres have some minor interest in him, but he's asking all of a sudden a three- or four-year deal, and there's arm problems there. The marquee name to me, and I don't understand why his name's not being mentioned hardly anywhere, is Zach Grinke. Now, granted, there's a lot of mileage on that arm, but he's not had a history of arm problems. He's a scientific pitcher. You know, coming in as somebody's three, somebody's four, I like Zach Greinke. Now, who knows what the dollar value would be? Who knows whether he's asking for four or five years at the advanced age there? I'd like to see Zach Greinke in the Padres rotation because I think that would be a pretty good addition. Uh, Corey Kluber is available. Bounce back a year after all the injuries in Cleveland. Bounce back a year with Tampa Bay. I'd sure like to see the Padres take a look at him. Johnny Cueto, who's He's got 100,000 miles on his arm. He's just a great vested veteran. He's out there shopping, and he's going to get a one- or a two-year contract. And Seth Lugo of the New York Mets, who I like, but he's not proven he can be a starter. He was more of a, a setup guy. I don't know if that's a Padre needs. So those are all the pitchers out there. Your reaction to what, what you think might happen with one or two of those names? Well, I mean, the names are interesting. I mean, I agree with you. Granke is an interesting guy. He— when he, we've always faced him whenever he was on the Dodgers or the Astros or the Diamondbacks, and he's kind of a putz, okay? He's a guy that you like to hate when he's on someone else's team. But if he was on your team, he would be good. And he pitched in Kansas City last year and put up some really good numbers. So I like him. I mean, of course, getting Rodon would be awesome. But seven years is a big ask for a pitcher when anything can go sideways with their arms. Um, but there are, those are really intriguing names out there. One name that got away, I think you and I probably agree on this. I wish the Padres had made a move on Noah Syndergaard. Now, he had two big arm problems when he was pitching uh, for the New York Mets, but he came back last year, and his season was kind of chopped in half, part with the Angels, then on to Philadelphia, but he went 10-10. and I would have liked to have seen the Padres make a run at him. He's gone to Dodger Stadium, one-year, $13 million deal. Okay, the everyday players. There's an awful lot of bats that are still out there. A bunch of them have got age. Some of them are coming off injuries. A select group are coming off really lousy seasons. You know, when, when you, Nelson Cruz went to Washington last year after having done great things in Minnesota, didn't really hit very well. David Peralta. 
has some power. You know, he was a bat in the Arizona Diamondbacks lineup. J.D. Martinez had a substandard season for him last year at Fenway Park, but the years prior uh, played very, very well. Uh, Yuli Gurriel is 38 years of age, but he's a first baseman. He can hit. Uh, He's obviously gone from Houston. Brian Anderson was in Miami infielder. A lot of injury problems last year, but, but kind of a solid player. Will Myers is still out there. A.J. Pollock's price tag probably has to come down, but he's a very serviceable guy. And the weird guy is Miguel Sano of the Minnesota Twins. This this guy was a potential all-star a couple of years ago. Hit for some average, does have some pop. Last year hurt, really lousy statistical season. Even the power went away, so I don't, I don't know what you make of him. So that's like a second tier of everyday players or potential designated hitters. Anybody catch your attention there and say, yeah, that guy might be pretty good. Um, you know, the, the name on there that is interesting is Peralta, because when he was in Arizona, I mean, he killed the Padres a lot of times. He plays left field, which is where there is an opportunity to slot someone, um, you know, for the San Diego Padres. You know, you look at you see Will Myers, you know, we still love the guy here in San Diego, but, you know, he we really need to kind of turn the page on him. Um, but I'm surprised like other players like, you know, Jerickson Profar, who had a serviceable year last year. Um, you know, is he getting much action? I don't know. But uh, interesting names. Some of the guys there are, are definitely over the hill. Profar, $7.5 million. Padres resurrected his career. Agent, Scott Boros. <laughs> Asking price, $15 mil. For a guy hitting two forty eight, nah, I think I'll pass on that. All right, let's let's talk about the the spenders. Uh, th- this is interesting. You got the Dodgers, obviously, who you know have, have cut back. At least at this point, they're below the luxury tax threshold. But you got the Mets and you got the Giants. Holy cow! The New York Mets have blown through the barriers on the luxury tax. They are now beyond the third tier level. The New York Mets payroll, as of us starting a podcast tonight, New York Mets payroll is $324 million. Wow. When you add on all the benefits and other things, and the luxury tax is going to be $76 million as of now, if they do nothing else, their total payroll is in excess of $415 million. It's a staggering amount of money. And it's like the owner, Steve Cohen, he just doesn't care about the luxury tax. Because John and you and I have talked about it. Every time you go over one tier, you go to the next threshold and you go to the third threshold, the sanctions are unbelievable. They're, because they're over the third limit now, the third tier of the tax, which was $293 million, and they're at 324 the tax north of the 293 threshold is 92%. You pay 92% on every dollar over 293 million. I mean, it's a staggering uh, amount of money. So that's that's one. And then the Giants giving a 13-year contract uh, to uh, lure Carlos Correa. That's kind of surprising. But San Francisco's payroll was way down. They don't have what I think is a really, really good team. San Francisco is an explosive financial market. So they must must rationalize that, A, we can afford it. But like you had mentioned prior, you get a guy that's going to be, we get age 35. What about the last five or eight years of the contract? You're stuck with that. I Every time I think about that, I get a flashback to the Angels contract and what they gave Albert Pujols. Mm-hmm. Staggering amount of money. 
Yeah, it seems like with these these long contracts, it sounds crazy to pay them in age 40, 41, 42, but they might not be thinking that way. They may just be thinking, hey, that's how we can get the average annual value low enough so we can play with that luxury tax appropriately. They're just sort of spreading it out. You know, and speaking of spreading it out with the Mets, they're still paying Bobby Bonilla, aren't they? Yeah, that, and this is where this whole deferred money controversy came from is he's – on the hook, I don't know, the 2031, he's been out of baseball a decade, mm-hmm. but it was a wild contract that the Mets used to get Bonilla signed with deferred money. Padres have some deferred money in some of their guys. Some clubs do it that way, but others say no, because if you start stacking deferred money, deferred money, in five years when the guy retires, your payroll gets chipped away because you're paying guys that are no longer playing baseball, mm-hmm. and you, can't, you don't want to do that for more than one or two guys in any given year. But I, I, I hear you. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, it's the time money thing because five years from now, a million dollars isn't worth a million dollars. But let's go back to Correa. I love that deal. Now, 13 years is a time, you know, but the, the Giants need a marquee guy. They yep. need a star to come into and because they tried to get Judge. It didn't work. Now, I mean, Correa is already the most hated guy for the L.A. Dodgers. Now he's going to be wearing the Giants jersey, rolling into Chavez Ravine. That guy is just going to get just whooped with booze in L.A. It's going to be great. You, know, you mentioned San Francisco. It's weird what they've done with their pitching staff. They do have Logan Webb, who I think is a bright, light, young arm to lead their rotation. The rest of the staff, the Alex Cobbs and the Alex Woods of the world, The rest of the staff are all number four guys. Do they have enough pitching? Because they don't have any really young pitching aside from Logan Webb. I I thought some of their free agent acquisitions were really, really strange. Yeah, you're right. They they need to kind of build that staff again. But just talking about Logan Webb, if I'm remembering the right guy, he reminds me of – you ever watched Breaking Bad? Yeah. Remember Jesse Plemons, you know, that character – uh, Logan Webb kind of looks like him. So whenever I see him on the mound, I always think of that. But yeah, he's a hell of a young pitcher. Uh, but the Giants just need stars. And I know Brandon uh, Crawford, I think, is going to move to third to uh, you know accommodate Correa. Brandon Belt, I think, is gone, right? right. Posey retired. So they just really need to kind of look to a new generation of players. Uh, one uh, back comment on the New York Mets. They have rebuilt their pitching staff. A lot of people haven't paid much attention to this. They got Mad Max Scherzer. At the front of the rotation, but he's 38. They just got Verlander on the two-year, $86 million contract. He's going to be 40. And then they went out and they got uh, Jose Quintana, who is a mid-level rotation guy. And and they just continue to do deals. And then they win the bidding war for Senga from Japan. Mm-hmm. So he comes on board. And they still got Carlos Carrasco. So the Mets have, have brought four new arms into the rotation to join Mad Max. It's going to be fascinating. Now, I don't think they've got a sexy everyday batting order, but boy, do they have brilliant pitching. And I'm, I'm fascinated to see what Senga from Japan is going to be like. Yeah, I think we're, we were all interested because we were hoping he was coming to San Diego. And some of these Japanese players can be really good here in Major League Baseball. Uh, one other note in Major League Baseball, Philadelphia is mourning the passing of the last of the Whiz Kids. I'll give you a little historical lesson here, John. In 1950, the Philadelphia Phillies won the World Series. The Phillies had been a woebegone team through the World War II years. They started to develop their farm system. They placed a whole bunch of young guys collectively on one farm club. It was in the 
Eastern League. At that point, it was called Class B, which is equivalent to Double A. But they had guys like Ricky, Richie Ashburn, Stan mm-hmm. Lapata, uh, Granny Hamner, uh, and that guy, Kurt Simmons. Kurt Simmons just passed. They all came together, got to the major leagues. They were with the Utica Blue Sox in the Eastern League. They all jumped to the Philadelphia Phillies. 48 and 49, young guys playing together, got their brains blown out. 50 chased down the Dodgers and won the whole doggone thing. Kurt Simmons was one of their pitchers. He just passed away. Uh, 20-year career. You know, we think of the greatness of some of the modern-day pitchers. He pitched for 20 years. Most of them were the Phillies, tail end of his career with St. Louis. A unique individual. As a youngster, he suffered an accident with a lawnmower that severed a toe. And yet he got to the major leagues wearing special shoes with uh, artificial uh, toe in there. It was an absolutely amazing story. He pitched for 20 years. Career record 193, 183, pretty good. He's the last of the whiz kids to pass on. And mm-hmm. that collectively, that was a really, really good baseball team. And he was part of a rotation and include the Hall of Famer, Robin Roberts, and mm. a whole number of other guys. So Philadelphia Morning, his passing, cool guy. I met him once, talked to him, interviewed him once. Uh, quite a guy. 20 years in the major leagues. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's a sad story. I mean, it's the end of an era for the for the Phillies. But just a little bit of a tangent. It's interesting how there are athletes that have had have suffered terrible accidents, sure. but have gone on to be great players, like Bob Ojeda, mm-hmm. who had an injury in his hand. And then uh, what was the other guy? It was like uh, Three Fingers Mordecai. Was that the guy? Well, that goes way, way back. back. And then there's the, the kicker for the Saints. Tom Dempsey was his yes. name. And remember, he had only half a foot. And they put a steel plate in the front of his cleat. And then he had the NFL field goal record for a really long time. 63 yards. He's a San Diego guy. Really? Yeah, from cool. North County. So that, that's a story there. Before we move on to the next chapter here on our Thursday podcast, John, remind everybody about the Fans Forum and how they can subscribe to get access to what we're doing. Okay, so the Fans Forum is already lighting up. We got some questions, some comments. Uh, so be, please, you know, load them up because we want to get you involved in the podcast. You can type them in on the Facebook or YouTube live streams. Uh, yeah, be sure to subscribe, you know, just wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Just uh, sign up there for Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. This is a weekly live live stream, but we sometimes do bonus episodes. And of course, we put a lot of additional content out on YouTube. Uh, Let's move on as we're talking about guys who've passed. This is one of the most unique people I've ever crossed paths with. And I've crossed paths with some really good coaches, some really bad guys. This guy was eclectic. This guy was electric. Uh, Mike Leach, former coach Washington State, uh, put Texas Tech back on the football map, went to Mississippi State and resurrected that program. Mike Leach passed away of a massive heart attack. Unique Really different guy. Architect of the air raid offense. Air raid offense is five wides all the time. We're not going to run the ball. We don't care about playing defense. We're going to make it cover us coming off the line of scrimmage, and we're going to put up monster yards. And he did. He did it at Texas Tech. He reincorporated it himself at uh, Washington State, and he was doing the exact same thing at Mississippi State when he passed away in his sleep on Sunday night. If I mention to you names... These, these are not all NFL guys, but of the top 10 career passes in a single season in college football, six of the quarterbacks on that top 10 list 
or his guys. Wow. Just amazing. Wow. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, great college quarterback, mm-hmm. threw the ball everywhere. Kid by the name of B.J. Simons out of Texas, threw the ball everywhere. Went to Washington State, uh, uncovered a, a JUCO transfer by the name of Anthony Gordon, threw for almost 5,000 yards in his one season up at Pullman. Uh, current NFL quarterback uh, is is part of that list. Um, trying to remember the name. Uh, Gardner Minshew. Uh, just fabulous group of throwers. And he'd recruit these small wide receivers. And he'd have double slots and he'd have double wides. And by the way, he'd throw to a tight end and he'd have no backs. That's what made him great as an X and O's guy. Everybody loved what he ran. The most unique thing about him, you talk about intellect. Strangest conference calls I've ever been on with anybody in sports. Uh, Pac-10, Pac-12 conference call with the coaches every Tuesday. They'd have every coach on, and it's supposed to be 15 minutes for each coach. You get to Mike Leach, and you talk about Washington State and what they were doing, and then he'd go off on a tangent. And his press conferences, even in Pullman, were just off the charts. He'd start talking about Frank Sinatra. He'd start (laughs) talking about craft beer. He'd start talking about growing up in the cold and the snow of Wyoming. He would talk about the Indian reservations. He had written a book about the Cherokees. I mean, most unique intellectual guy that I've ever crossed paths with. Now, tough to do your job because he kept going off on tangents all the time. Mm -hmm. Fun guy. He'd spend his off season in Key West, Florida. Do you know who was famous who spent a lot of time in Key West? Jimmy Buffett? <laughs> well, Jimmy Buffett, that's a, that's a good call. Jimmy yeah. Buffett is part of that right. mix. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the great writer of the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Oh, yeah. Ernest Hemingway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He stayed, he almost lived at a bar mm-hmm. in Uptown Key West. I've been in that bar. It's called Sloppy Joe's. Nice. Mike Leach, first chair at the bar in the off season. He'd be in that bar every day talking football, talking society, talking life, telling stories. Just hilarious. Cool guy. Uh, miss him. Uh, I wish he lived, I guess he lived life his own way. And he had his own set of rules. And he didn't care for university presidents. And yeah, the alums and the big cigars, mm-hmm. like John Riley, they were yeah, important. Yeah. But he didn't care yeah. what John Riley thought about yeah. what they did if they lost 59-57. And there were a bunch of those games. Just a really, really unique guy. Like I said, electric offense, eclectic personality. Yeah, I love guys like that. In the world of sports, in the world of business, they just think differently and they know how to be innovative. They come up with new schemes that can sometimes transform a sport or an industry on its ear. So, uh, yeah, this is a this is a big loss in the world of football. I mean, you could say he's definitely one of the greatest innovators in, in college football. Well, I I was on one conference call with him and from somehow he asked me Old-time music. Do you ever listen to big band or old-time music, 50s, 60s, 70s? <laughs> he said, who's your favorite artist from that era? I said, well, Frank Sinatra. He went off on a tangent talking about Sinatra. Nice. He must have gone for 10 to 12 minutes, and they had to move him back and get him back on topic. But it just, uh, just as a unique guy. And you know who's come off the Mike Leach family tree? Mike Riley. Uh, 
Lincoln Riley. Link, Lincoln Riley. At, at USC. Yeah. He's one of the protégés of the air raid offense. I mean, so many other great coaches uh, that have come there. Obviously, Kingsbury and, and uh, Graham Harrell. Uh, another really good college offensive coordinator. They're just all over the roadmap. So fun, fun guy. If you're killing time, Google Mike Leach, and you won't believe the stories that are being written by a lot of great journalists around the country who had the same experience I did crossing paths with him and talking about raising beagles versus German shepherds. And <laughs> just cut from a different cloth that's yeah. all i can say yeah right on i mean you know it's in, in kind of a unique way having a personality like that as a head coach kind of just creates a certain amount of electricity around the program that can attract players that kind of differentiates his program from a lot of others but you know what a, what a, what an intriguing and an innovative mind yeah defense always optional on a Mike Leach football yeah. team. Uh, one guy's not had a good week, and we talked about him last week. I'm talking about primetime. We're talking about Neon Dion, Dion Sanders. Uh, he had his first team meeting a week ago that we talked about, and his his phrase was, I'm a coming. And he started talking about all the things that he wanted Colorado football to be, and he wrapped it up by saying, if you don't think you can do this, here's the transfer portal. He's got 26 in the portal so far in the first week uh, who have opted out that don't buy the sales pitch. A lot of other people in Mississippi are really upset, and I think it's kind of unfair because I think Dion did a lot of things for the SWAC, the Southwestern Athletic Conference, the black schools, the, the Alcorn States and the Mississippi Valleys and all that in terms of fundraising and directing African Americans that you need to go to school, you need to go to one of these schools, we need to resurrect the old swack. But boy, he's gotten drilled by some of the columnists in the Deep South for being a sellout. You know, he kept saying, I'm here and I'm going to do a great job and we're going to reestablish the, the HBUC schools. And then he bails. I don't know that you can criticize him for accepting a pay raise from 300000 to $6.2 million. I don't think you can criticize him for wanting to see if he could do it at the next level. He's such a persona. But they called him a sellout. And they said, you know, the, the, the big difference between Dion and anybody else that's been here in the SWAC, our guy stayed. And they quoted Eddie Robinson, who coached at Grambling for three decades and turned down the Philadelphia Eagles and Pittsburgh Steelers head coaching job. And they talked about Jake Gaither from way back in the day, Florida A&M Rattlers, one of the first great black institutions. And I said, Dion sold out the universities and everything he said that was important to him about the, the historically black universities and colleges must not be important now because he took the money and he went to the Pac-12. I think it's unfair. Uh, Dion worked really, really hard, donated a whole chunk of his salary so they could build an athletic training facility there at J-State. Uh, and he did recommend to the president, and they just did, they up, upgraded and named T.C. Taylor, who was a wide receiver coach, named him the head coach rather than going outside to try to start a, a search really late. So I, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what Dion does at Colorado. He's going to have to bring a whole truckload of players in because he's got a lot of guys that are leaving because I'm a coming. Uh, your thoughts on what happened in Mississippi and the reaction? Yeah, I, I, I think it's really unfair. I mean, because 
Deion Sanders came and brought so much to Jackson State, really helped put that program on the map and had a great, what was he there, two, three years? Three years. Three years. 28 and five. So he was tremendous. And yeah, but he has a better opportunity. You can't, you can't shame a person for getting a huge raise and, and moving up to a better job. I get why they're burned. You know, maybe they just want to. Yeah, they they, they want to. I don't know. They they're just really connected to the swack and to the history of all of those programs. But to me, prime time is going to be going for the prime time. You know, he's going to the Pac-12, and he's bringing his heroism. He's bringing his brand, all the swagger. He's going to really do something special in Colorado, and I love every minute of it. What he's doing. So I, I got to get a, a Buffalo's uh, you know jersey because uh, I'm on board. Well. There's no doubt that there's a lot of bravado, and now it'll be followed up by him getting access, and he's going to recruit players. And I think I think he will be a magnet for uh, great high school African-American players to want to go to CU, because that's, that's what he did at Jackson State. But there is great heritage. When you spend two and a half years, and all you talk about is the history of the SWAC and Jerry Rice at Mississippi Valley and Walter mm-hmm. Payton played at Jackson State. When you talk about that, and you talk about that, and you talk about that, and then you turn and leave at the first opportunity— I guess I could understand. Uh, quick comment about the National Football League. Got great games this weekend, but we're going to zero in on this guy, Jera. Jerry Jones is talking about a lot of different issues in the NFL. You never know. It's, it's like the flags at Wrigley Field in Chicago. You know, which way is the wind blow one day versus the next day? Jerry Jones uh, has come out and is, is supporting Dan Snyder, the owner of the Washington Commanders, who's under all kinds of heat and all kinds of investigations. And are they selling us team? Are they not selling the team? And Jerry Jones says he is just a believer in the way Daniel Snyder does his business. I don't know if Jerry should be saying that kind of stuff, considering part of Daniel Snyder's business has had to do with all types of sexual misconduct and harassment and toxic workplace culture convictions, etc. But Jerry Jones popped off out of the clear blue sky. Maybe, maybe it's because Jim Irsay is on the other street corner yelling, yeah, we can get rid of that guy. Jerry Jones says he supports Daniel Snyder. The other thing that Jerry said this week, and I just kind of shook my head, he said, I'm in favor of a proposal that we're going to make for an 18-game schedule next year. And I thought to myself, 18 games, the injury count in the NFL is through the roof. Numbers of guys on the IR list, it's historical. There have been 17 of the 32 starting quarterbacks have had major injuries. Uh, now, the fans love it. I do. I'm a football junkie like you. I love watching games. I broadcast games for 17 years. But the injury factor of the players right now is staggering. And he wants to push through an 18-game schedule and reduce preseason down to two. I don't know if the union's going to buy that. I know there's a lot of money to be made by adding even more games to the equation, just like they added the 17th game, just like they added the wild card playoffs and then expanded on that. But how much is too much, especially the wear and tear factor on these guys? You see how many guys are hurt. When Kyler Murray went down with a ruptured patella tendon, torn ACL, and didn't even get hit. His knee exploded while he was running the football for the Arizona Cardinals. To me, the injury factor is just staggering. 
Reaction. Um, it's, it's interesting how the NFL is kind of like the Roman gladiator games, right? <laughs> because the fans just love to see these guys get hit, get knocked down. And yeah, to a point, it's brutal. As a season ticket holder, though, you have to buy four. It used to be you had to buy four preseason games and then you got, or no, excuse me, two preseason games and then you got eight home games. And those preseason games were never really worth the money. And they're worse now than they've ever been. Yeah. So I, that's, I remember there was talk of that. Why don't we just kind of, you know, this is like 20 years ago. Why don't we have 18 games and only two preseason? So, but you know, Jerry Jones is, a, he's an owner. I mean, he's trying to make money. I mean, that's, that's his whole angle to this. Uh, the other, you know, the other part of this was in the news with Jerry Jones is something about like, you know, when he was there in Little Rock, when they were trying to, you know, the segregation of the schools. 1950s. And trying to, yeah. yeah. He was involved there. Or there were photos of him there. So he's just an interesting character. And you can't back Daniel Snyder. I mean, you just don't go there. Um, what is he doing? Is he just trying to defend the league and the brotherhood of all the owners? Um, you just can't back Daniel Snyder. It's been a couple of bad weeks for Roger Goodell because all the insinuations of the cover-up and the fraudulent investigation. And now there is another report that's going to be released by Mary Lou White, who is, or Mary Jo White, who's been the league-assigned investigator, because uh, the last report by lawyer Beth Wilkinson was not made public to anybody except Roger Goodell. Uh, and that led to the $10 million fine and the removal of Daniel Snyder as the day-to-day operator of the franchise. But, you know, for Jerry, just to come at it, the closet and say, I'm supporting Dan Snyder. Where'd that come from? Yeah. Why, why now at this point in time? So interesting. That's to see like coming it, out and, and supporting Donald Sterling. You know, I mean, yeah. you just cer- certain owners have crossed the, you know, gone beyond the pale. And you just can't you can't touch them anymore. OK, let's go to NBA basketball. Something's going to change, going to change fairly quickly. L.A. Lakers are involved with trade talks. Now, we have had on our our podcast, we've talked back and forth about the whole Russell Westbrook thing. And can they move him? Do they want to move him? Do they want to get rid of the 47 million contract? Who's going to take that contract? Da, 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 da. Now, suddenly the trade talks are colored very differently because the Lakers are talking about keeping Russell Westbrook to pair with LeBron and AD because Westbrook has accepted the role off the bench. He's playing for his next contract. He's not a problem. He's averaging 18 points and eight assists per game off the bench. That's high productivity. What the Lakers now are trying to do is come up with the idea, should we trade our two number ones in the future and then maybe throw in Patrick Beverly or throw in Kendrick Nunn and see if we can get an established star player? And they, they've continued this dialogue. They've taken Westbrook and his contract out. They've substituted the other two Laker guards, Nunn and Beverly, plus the draft picks. And they've gone back uh, to talk to Indiana about Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. But they're also talking to Detroit about the three-point shooting uh, specialist, uh, Bojdan Bogdanovich. He's averaging 21 points per game, uh, $19 million a year salary. There's some talk that it might be a four-for-one trade with Detroit to get Bog here to become the extra big shooting forward. Uh, and they're also having dialogue with you know just a number of other teams along the way. Um, there's a huge argument. Should we just keep the picks and the contract that Westbrook's got, knowing we get to the end of the season— We'll have 47 million cap space to use. But the problem, they are, and, and they will have retained their number ones. The offset problem to that is that's another year of wear and tear on AD 
uh, and LeBron and not getting to the NBA Finals. So they're kind of in a mixed bag of what should we do? Westbrook picks, just trade young guys and get role players a fit. Interesting. But there's going to be a deal. It's coming. Yeah. Did you watch the uh, Lakers-Celtics game a couple nights ago? Now, were you watching about the point when I was yelling at the TV, how the hell could you be down by 19 at home or yelling to the TV, my God, they're 13 above? Yeah. And then screaming, oh, they lost the game. It was it was an, a crazy game. And Westbrook was actually pretty good. But the part that caught my attention was halftime, you know, with Ernie Johnson and the whole TNT uh, studio crew. And Barkley came out and he says, you know, the Lakers are terrible. You know, we, we, we see them on TV all the time. And what, they're like a 12 seed and the 12 seed in the East are the Washington Wizards. No one ever talks about them. And he's right. I mean, the Lakers are terrible. And, and so the fact that they're trying to make a move makes sense. But really, we saw that they what they're capable of in that game against the Celtics. They all came up and stepped up. But even then, they fell short. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what you can do with the Lakers. I don't know if you can salvage them. Or maybe they, they may have to go, you know, kind of on the, on the lowdown for a few years and resurrect themselves down the road. If I were king, I would keep Westbrook, suffer through whatever you're going to suffer through, get the 47 million cap space, retain the only two number one picks you have the rest of the decade, mm-hmm. and just go from there. Because 47 million, you might be able to buy the right type of free agent once Westbrook's contract expires. Speaking of bad, and I'm a huge hockey fan, John, and we are going through some really bad times. We're going through bad times in Anaheim with the Ducks. We're going through bad times with their top farm club here, the San Diego Gulls. And it really bothers me because the Gulls have been one of the best franchises in the American Hockey League. You start drawing eleven and 12,000 on weekend games, that's pretty impressive. But what's happened in Anaheim is that they're in total rebuild mode. At the trade deadline last winter, they, they moved away a number of veterans. They stockpiled a bunch of high picks, a bunch of old players with big contracts, and they were really capped out. They are suffering they, they right now are staggering 7, 20, and 3. They're averaging less than two goals a game in the NHL. Poor John Gibson, the goaltender, is just getting bombarded. And, and they're force-feeding all their young players. The Mason McTavish is a number one pick. Trevor Zegers, who's a great young star. Uh, Jamie Drysdale, number one pick. Defense Malo, he's hurt right now. They just, A, they have injured problems at, at forward. And B, there's just too many young guys on the ice trying to play at the elite level in the NHL. It's filtered down here to San Diego. The Gulls, who've had a great minor league run for seven or eight years, they have the worst record in the American Hockey League. The Gulls have lost nine in a row. They've lost 13 of their last 14. It's an all-time worst run by the team ever since the A got here. And the Ducks are responsible because the Ducks have taken all the young kids and force-fed them at the NHL level, and they've just not been able to replace them. And I, I just feel really bad. This is a really good hockey town, but this is just a really tough year. And it, it's one of the problems you have when you're the top affiliate for an NHL club. You know, your goal is, yeah, you want to win games and be in the Calder Cup playoffs and all that, but your goal is get the kids ready so they go up. But when they take them all up and then they don't replace them with enough young people— Boy, it's a tough, tough haul. Love goals hockey when the building is sold out. The you know, beer Friday promotion mm-hmm. place rocks. Not rocking right now, right now with a non-game losing streak. Yeah, I, I've been to a number of games and always have a great time at the sports arena, which is kind of weird to say because it's the the building needs to be replaced and upgraded. But the but the the product on the ice is always a lot of fun. 
but you know, all, all kinds of professional f- sports franchises go through these periods. Cycles. Yeah. And even the best of the best go through them. And it just goes to show you how hard it is to run an organization and to really you know, work on player development, draft, trades. It takes a lot of you know, brain power to make that work. Well, we'll see. Uh, they're likely the the goals are going to be in the draft lottery right now. They, they're a minus sixty in goal differential. That's how much have been outscored uh, the the Ducks, I should say. Mm-hmm. That that's how big a hole they're in. But they're going to probably get either pick one or pick two on the draft. They just keep stockpiling, and then one of these mornings we're going to wake up and they're going to be a good team. But not next morning, that's for sure. All right, let's move on. Uh, before we do get the final topics on the table. Uh, remind everybody here about the Fans Forum, John, and what's going to happen a couple minutes from now. Yeah, so Fans Forum, you still have an opportunity to get in on the action. Type in your questions or comments for Hacksaw on the Facebook or on the YouTube live stream, and we'll get you involved. We'll get your message. You'll see your, your photo and the message up on the screen, so that's kind of fun to get involved in the podcast. So that'll be, yeah, in a few minutes when we get near the end of the Hacksaw's headlines. Okay, let's talk World Cup, 7 a.m. Sunday morning. I don't care what you're doing, but you're going to watch World Cup with me france argentina championship game french going for their second straight world cup that hardly ever ever happens globally argentina going after their fifth world cup french led by kai mappi outstanding shooter striker uh Argentina's got Lionel Messi. He's never won a World Cup. I did not realize that till this week. Really good players. It's been a three weeks of upsets controversies. And I'll tell you, coaching firings everywhere. Everybody who got knocked out from Germany to Spain to Portugal to Brazil. Brazil, Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. Fired their coaches. Mm -hmm. Mexican coach got fired an hour after the game was over (laughs) while his press conference was going on. It's it's just been amazing. So we got World Cup. That comes up. The winner gets $42 million in bonus money. The loser, the runner-up, gets $32 million in bonus money. Uh, all the controversy has now been pushed aside. This is Mepi. This is Messi. It's going to be France. It's going to be Argentina. Let's talk about uh, Team USA and the coaching situation. This story has taken a lot of twists and turns in the last seven days since Team USA got knocked out. Congratulations to what the Americans did to get out of group play and to get there. But they were fatigued and they finally got beat. But Greg Berhalter's contract has not been negotiated yet. They are talking. Now it comes to surface that there's been an uproar from young players who felt he mistreated them. You know, Burhalter turned the roster upside down of the youngest roster team at USA has ever had, second youngest roster of all time in World Cup history, and they get they got into the the knockout round. Uh, there's controversy though because Gio Reyna uh, has mouthed off. Reyna was is one of the young stars that was added at the last minute. He went uh, to Saudi Arabia uh, and to Qatar with them in training and did not get in games until the bitter end. And he he practiced so poorly that Burhalter threatened to send him home. He was going to kick him off the team. And the players interceded. They had a players-only meeting. And Burhalter told Reyna, 
you will apologize. You will apologize to your teammates for not conducting your business. When we needed you, you needed to be practicing hard, and he didn't, and he hardly got on the pitch until the last game or two. He did apologize. But there's an uproar over his treatment of, of Reyna, his treatment of Ricardo Pepe, who did not make the final roster cut after having had a good group of games leading up in, in all the friendlies that they played. I find it hard to believe they kicked this guy off the USA team. His record's 37, 11, and 12. I mean, you go through transition, and you bring all those young guys together, and then you take them to the World Cup, and they get, you know, they get the win, they get ties, they they get to move on. I'm, I'd be shocked if Burhalter was not given uh, the contract extension. One other note. Let's talk about players. Team USA. These guys are going to be changing their addresses pretty quickly. This is the story out of England. The Christian Pulisic, who's kind of withered on the bench in a dispute with that coach at Chelsea, is going to be moved. And the report is he's going to Newcastle United. The transfer window opens right after Christmas, John. And Weston McKenney, who's currently been playing at Valencia in Spain, rumor mill is he's going to Tottenham Hotspur on a big money transfer. There are 17... Team USA players playing in the European leagues, which is great in terms of the learning curve and just making you a better soccer player because the level of competition to play in England or Spain or Italian, the Serie A league, the level of competition is spectacular. So that could happen right after Christman Pulisic winds up in Newcastle and uh, McKinney winds up going to Hotspur. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because we when we talked about the Team USA before the World Cup started, we were concerned that it was such a young team. And so you didn't have those veterans. And now you get these young players and they're pouting, you know, because they're not playing as much. That's why you need those veterans to kind of smack those young guys around because the coach really shouldn't have to be the one to lay it down. That's something that the players themselves should be able to manage. Uh, but I love the fact there's a lot more Americans playing in Europe. That just brings up the uh, the quality of the game in the United States and makes us more relevant in the World Cup. But go with the finals are going to be great. I mean, two powerhouses. Argentina and France, two of the of the great stars of the game, um, in Messier and uh, Mbappe. So I, I, I'm rooting for Argentina. I mean, because I like to see Messi go out with a World Cup victory. And you know, I'm in the Western Hemisphere, so I'll <laughs> pick Argentina. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a great game. And yeah, we're going to have to wake up early on Sunday. I'll bring the coffee. You make sure you bring the donuts. Don't do not forget. <laughs> All right, before we go to the fans forum, I just want to remind you. Uh, we invite you to subscribe so you can watch the podcast and get the alerts during the week because we do a lot of extra bonus coverage. So make sure when you go to YouTube or um, the other channels that you hit the subscribe button, the bell, so you get the alerts. Also, if you like sports, please check my website. It's all written, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. We cover everything in sports, top to bottom, every day. It's all written. think you'll enjoy it. All right, fans forum. Boy, this looks like the parking lot at Lindbergh Field at the airport. They're stacked up here waiting to try to find a parking space to make a comment. Go and pick and choose. Where do you want to go? Here we go. H4 is saying Reynolds and Rodon. Let's go Seidler. I just don't think the Padres can do that. I, I know your heart is in it. I agree with you. But the Padres right now are in the second tier of the luxury tax, and it's really significant. And Rodon won seven years. I would never give a pitcher a seven-year contract. The Reynolds trade is still out there, although Pittsburgh has publicly said we really don't want to trade this guy. But then Pittsburgh leaks out, 
Well, if Adrian Morion and Luis Camposano and a couple of other prospects are part of the deal, maybe I'd do it. So the question the Padres have to decide is, can they afford to move anybody else out of the farm system? Of course, there's not a heck of a lot there in the farm system. Reynolds has a very affordable contract at 6.5 this year, $9 million next year before he becomes a free agent. But what price do you pay? How much can you pay? Would you do that? I mean, they, they the the Pittsburgh Pirates want like a Herschel Walker deal, you know, with like eleven gut draft picks and all these players. There's no way the Padres should really do that. I mean, Reynolds is good, but he's not that good. Um, Rodon would be great to sign. I mean, he you could put him right near the front of your rotation because you know the Padres are going to make some decisions because this is the final year for Darvish and for Snell, and you get beyond this year, and who do you got? He's got Musgrove. So th- having another pitcher on a long term deal would be great but not that long-term of a deal that Rodon wants. Seven years, I concur with you. Next question up here in our fans forum. Where do you want to go? Here we go. Uh, from Mike O'Connor. I'll let you read that one, Hacksaw. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bleeping brilliant. Love the saw. Yes, I am. Thank you very much. What we do is really different. Different than anybody else's podcast. Different from anybody else on talk show radio. Hell, if you read my website that I post later tonight, it's better than your daily sports section in your newspaper if you still get the newspaper. But you are right. We are bleeping brilliant. Thank you. Okay, so uh, Derek Brzezinski says, yeah, called Hacksaw once back in the 90s on a Verizon old school cell phone the size of a brick (laughs) from Tijuana. Talked about Lakers and Vlade. Hacksaw is a legend. Well, we did it. It proves one thing, because I did talk radio here for 28 years. If you do it long enough, you should get good enough at it. And we did. But uh, thank you for being a participant uh, in the fans forum. Next question. Yeah, this is the same guy here. It's Derek's remembering all those great Charger moments. Rodney, Natron, Stan, and Junior. It was interesting. I was with Bobby Ross, the legendary Charger coach. He's retired, lives in Virginia. He's 85. And we were talking about uh, uh, NFL films that had put together a documentary, Road to the Super Bowl, 1995 Chargers. And my play-by-play is scattered all over it. And I had sent Bobby, who finally learned how to use a computer, by the way. (laughs) Not many 85-year-olds do that. I'd sent him the link. And I said, watch this. You'll get a kick out of it. And I said, what did you remember most about that game? He said, you know, it was electric and all that. And it was exciting at the end. And he said, the play I remember is Natron Means. We had a third down and two. And we were getting pushed all over the field. And I, I don't recall this play. He said, we ran a, a, a pitch wide to Natron. And Natron was heavy set, power running back, had an extra gear. He said he turned that corner and he destroyed that safety. And that safety was Carnell Lake, who was the heart and soul of their secondary, their tough guy secondary. They were coming to get your guy secondary. He said, Natron hit that guy and knocked him five yards down the field. We got the first down. Our bench exploded. And we knew we could play with the Steelers at that point in time. Isn't it interesting? Coaches think of different things. He didn't didn't mention the touchdown pass to Tony, uh, Tony Martin. Didn't mention the Alfred Papuno play-action touchdown pass. He didn't mention Dennis Gibson deflecting the ball. Mm-hmm. He mentioned power sweep run over the safety, make a statement on the other sideline to Bill Cower and the Steelers. Coaches are wired differently. Yeah, it's incredible how they can remember just the smallest detail of a game that happened 
10, 15 years ago because they just lived it so much. But yeah, Natron was a great player. And I still have in my office the the, the, the front page of the San Diego Union Tribune. Yes, with a picture of Natron. Yeah, he's holding up his helmet and it's there at Three Rivers. That was just such a great time in San Diego. I mean, the whole community was electrified, you know, talking about lightning bolts. Um, what is, well, that was a really special time. And, and it was interesting. Natron means he was sort of, you know, we didn't know much about him in the beginning because wasn't he the backup to Marion Butts? Yeah. And he was drafted by Bobby Beathard out of, I think it was North Carolina. And he came here and he had about five good seasons. The wear and tear factor on NFL running back significant. They had a knee injury and he got traded. And I think he was out of the league within a year and a half or two years because of injuries. He's a high school coach in North Carolina and is doing very, very well. He went home. Good for him. And yeah. I like to hear stories like that. But, you know, talking about that Jerry Jones story, you know, more more games, more wear and tear on these athletes, more gladiators getting consumed by lions. I mean, it's a brutal sport. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Regardless of how much money they're making. Next question. Next. Let's do a couple more here. Okay. And, yeah, here's uh, Dale, Dale Thumbs just remembering you here. Hacksaw was great as a Chargers announcer. We had a good time. We had a blast. They weren't very good. You didn't think I was really good in 1990 when they were sitting there at 4-12, and 12, did you? <laughs> and we had all those 6-10 and 10 seasons, but we got good. And it's an exciting thing to see a, a, a team come together, to see it grasp the community, to see the community respond coolest thing and that's that's what to me is so hard for me and so bitter about the fact that spanos pulled the franchise out of here and turned his back on 55 years of loyalty well i I have a question for you here lee so you know you you did play-by-play for the chargers for the seahawks the vikings the, the trojans right then you also did hockey you also did minor league baseball. I mean, what what are some of the, your favorite memories as a play-by-play announcer? That's a great topic for another time. We don't want to do a five-hour podcast here tonight, <laughs> but we'll put that when we get to the end of the football season, we'll discuss it. But I love game day. Holy cow, I love game day. I love game day in the NFL, and I love big games. That's the big thing is this is for first place, or this is with a chance in the playoffs, or this is a playoff game. Or the Rose Bowl. I, I broadcast Arizona State, Michigan, the Rose Bowls. First time the Sun Devils, who had just come to the Pac-10 conference at that point, was in the Rose Bowl game. And I couldn't sleep. I was so amped up about Arizona State, Michigan and and Harbaugh and, and all that. And I woke up at 5.30 and I just couldn't sleep. And I opened the curtains of the hotel. There's a coaching staff. They're out in the parking lot just walking around. They couldn't <laughs> sleep either. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've done a lot of really unique things. My most exciting thing, the first time in my career, is to broadcast from Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, where the Toronto Maple Leafs were historic, dating back to the 1920s mm-hmm. uh, and Montreal Forum. I, you know, and I, I grew up in a hockey background. And to get the chance as a young broadcaster, to be the voice of a team and sit in the historic gondola at Maple Leaf Gardens. And then the other one was to be in Montreal, where everything is in French. And I struggled with French in high school, all four years of it. Uh, I really struggled. I had a hard time understanding what the PA announcer was saying. It was in French. And everybody was screaming and yelling because the Montreal Canadiens at that time were legendary. Le Bleu Blanc Rouge. So, yeah, that that's another topic for another time. A lot of, a lot of good stories there, too. Yeah, I mean, good stuff. I mean, it, to me, it's it's interesting as a sports fan 
you know, we're fans of the teams, we're fans of the players, but we all build relationships with the broadcasters. Um, and when, you know, some of these broadcasters retire, you know, sadly, some of them pass on. It's a very important moment in the history of sports. The voice of a team can have a big impact in the community and the memories of the community. And that's the thing I'm most proud of is everywhere I go, people say, oh, I remember this. Lee, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Hacksaw, why did you say that? It, it just it goes on and on. So it's fun time. Hey, listen, we really appreciate you being part of our podcast. We're here every Thursday. Please subscribe to what we do so you'll get the alerts when we do the bonus coverage and what we add during the week. And go ahead and check uh, my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. John, enjoy the weekend. I'll be here right before 7 a.m. with coffee. You <laughs> yeah. bring the donuts. We'll watch the World Cup. Have yourself a great sports weekend. Thanks for being part of Hacksaw's Headlines and our podcast. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.